So Yudhishthir Prabhu is one of our uh, the disciples of Tamar Krishna Maharaj, and he's one of my favorite God brothers. <laughs> and I'm so happy that he's here. And Winston is going to read a more formal bio. So Winston, over to you. Okay. Hey, Malaji. Yudhishthir Das's connection with Gaudiya Vaishnavism began in 1975 when he first met AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. His spiritual highlights include his volunteer service as ISKCON Dallas Temple President from 1990 to 2000 and permanent secretary to His Holiness Kamal Krishna Gopamami from 1984 through 2002. His spiritual journey began with his existential search as a young teenager. It is shared in his most recent illustrated book of poems entitled Words, Wisdom, and Whimsy. In his secular life, Joe Dinoffer is a master professional in the USPTA and PTR, the world's top two tennis teaching organizations. He has written nine books, produced 22 DVDs, and appeared on the Tennis Channel television network. His company, OnCourtOffCourt.com, manufactures training aids for tennis, pickleball fitness, and yoga. And he has also achieved numerous national recognition awards and locally received the 2019 Humanitarian Award for the City of Dallas for his work in the inner city tennis community. So thank you again, Prabhu, for joining us. It's all yours. Uh, for my respects to all those gathered here and all the human beings and others on this planet who are seeking for, to further their devotional progress, regardless of their religious path and their faith path. As we all know, um, the um, base religion um, that came from greater India is called Sanatana Dharma, which essentially means the eternal position of the soul. And this is not a sectarian uh, path. Um, it, things may appear to be isolated based on physical appearance or practices or whatever, but for those in a, a monotheistic tradition, such as ours, also monotheistic traditions are uh, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, and um, so many other paths um, who regard that God as a person uh, exists and that there's one God, a monotheistic tradition. So for those not so familiar, I just thought I'd give this little background. Um, you know, I, I want to start um, by just saying that there's Tamal Krishna Goswami, uh, and sometimes I'll say Gurudev because he was my Guru Maharaj, and sometimes I'll politely say Goswami Maharaj as a way to address him in the third party for those who are not his disciples, respectfully, or if there are any of his god brothers present. Um, so if I use Tamal Krishna Goswami or Goswami Maharaj or Gurudev, we're talking about His Holiness Tamal Krishna Goswami, who is one of the leading disciples um, of Srila Prabhupada and uh, one of the founding members of what is known as the Hare Krishna movement or the Krishna Consciousness movement. 
So, um, and we'll have time for questions and answers. I'll try to go about 30 minutes. And uh, um, I do have a little um, admission. So when I move here, you see this image behind me is the Jumuna River. And it was taken in 1979 in April. And this picture and my presence now is uh, proof that reincarnation within one body exists because it said every seven years, the cells in the human body change, except for, I think, uh, Dr. Guru Bhakti, the, the central nervous system cells uh, remain, from what I understand, but the other cells, the majority of the body change and cycle through. So you can let me get away with that haphazard explanation. But that's me in the background in 1979, uh, before my hair, changed and my dress clothing changed. So um, the Jamuna at that time was just marvelous. And uh, I still know exactly how it feels. Very, very wonderful. Okay, so um, how to talk about my relationship with Tamal Krishna Goswami. Let's, let's just say, start with the untold story because he was um, a visionary as much as he was uh, multi-talented in so many practical ways, which I'll explain. But I, I think that, you know, he uh, left in 2002. He was 50, uh, not quite 56. He was 55 years old uh, physically. And he left abruptly, as we all know. He was, uh, for those who have this faith, we would say that he was brought back, called back by God, by Krishna, to be of service to his eternal spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada. And, um, I, you know, with him almost getting his PhD in comparative religion, uh, my opinion, that's a little speculative, but uh, bear with me, is that he was preparing to help move the Krishna consciousness movement from appearing sectarian to a broad vision acceptance. Um, and I think he would have been one, I, I mean, I'm stepping a little bit onto delicate territory by saying this, but I think he would have been one to um, encourage people to, to in, not use uh, the word devotee the way we commonly use it. And I'll, I'll explain why. Um, because when we use the word devotee, it implies that everyone outside of our faith path, specific uh, disciplic succession and the path of Gaudiya Vaishnavism that Srila Prabhupada brought, is a non-devotee. And I know many uh, devoted Christians and Jews and Muslims and um, people from India, you know, you could use the word Hindu, um, who are following other paths who are definitely devoted because the word devotee comes from that. And I think he would have been one to use the word member related to ISKCON in that sense, at least in a public forum, let's just say it that way, so that we, we learn to be you know, respectful in that way. Now, for those of you that know Tamal Krishna Goswami, he was nothing if he wasn't very particular. So extremely particular. And I don't think it's insulting to use the term OCD, but I don't use it the way it's commonly understood. In his case, 
I use it as uh, OCD, overwhelmingly caring devotion. Because he was so determined to please his Guru Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada, that it said that he would have walked through fire. And I believe that. When Prabhupada left in 1977, he touched people in so many ways. My first physical encounter with Prabhupada was at the airport in Honolulu and seeing him off. But the next year, he was in Hawaii for a month. And the first time that I remember offering obeisances to him, I had my first fully out-of-body experience. My soul or subtle body went to the ceiling, very high ceiling, the Honolulu Temple donated by Ambarish, the great-grandson of Henry Ford, and very high high ceiling. And I remember looking down, and that's how Prabhupada had that. Um, he didn't flaunt his mystical potency, I guess you would say. But he had that. And to um, you know, one extent or another, uh, my Guru Maharaj, Srila Gurda, he also had uh, not the magnitude uh, of Prabhupada's, I don't want to at all cross that line, but he had his own potency, you might say. He was a very powerful person. The stars certainly lined up that way for him. And he was very, very intense in terms of serving Srila Prabhupada. So one of the things he had, my experience with him was largely in Dallas. It consisted of 17 years. Um working with him, working, uh, you know, for him, serving him 24 hours a day on call, seven days a week, 365 days a year, more or less, as Guru Bhakti knows. He could call anytime. I remember once I was at a tennis convention working and I was, you know, I, I presented workshops at these conventions. There were like 500 coaches. And then we had a booth with our equipment so I could support my family and volunteer to do the temple service and so forth. And I remember he called me right in the middle of being like ultra busy. And there were 10 people deep and I was selling things and out of not, you know, had traveled. I forget what city it was in. I think it was, I can't remember, uh, somewhere in the Midwest. And I had to step outside and ask those people just wait. And he, he was good. I explained why, but certainly I had to pull away for about 10 minutes. So um, he was intense and he selected, I'm sure Srila Prabhupada had a bell and maybe in some of his quarters, maybe in LA or whatever, they installed a buzzer so he could press a button and then his servant would come. So in Dallas, I remember Maternath Prabhu tried to, the buzzer that he had, I don't, I can't simulate the noise, but it was very obnoxious for the average ear. It was something like, like that, very intense. He was, you know, yes, he was intense like that. Maternoff changed it one day to a very sweet sounding, melodious, like, you know, really just a sweet, light bell. And then the first time he tried it out, he said, what is this? Change it back. Because he liked that intensity, you know, it was, it represented his service to his guru. So one night I was at different times, I slept up in his quarters for weeks at a time to be of greater assistance rather than at 
the home where my family lived and then being called and going. So I was accessible to him. And one night, it was like three in the morning, no, maybe two in the morning. And I heard the buzzer at two in the morning. Like that, really, really loud. And I got up really fast and, you know, made sure I had, you know, cloth was at least straight and walked to his door. And I was ready to knock on his bedroom door. Two in the morning, but I realized I had dreamt that I heard the buzzer. It wasn't real. So I did not knock on the door, fortunately, because there was no buzzer. But that's the intensity with which that service occurred, if that makes sense. And the best way that I can describe um, the service, this is, I don't know, it was a combination of two things. And I'll, I'll, I'll give it, there are two very opposite descriptions. One is that I fell in love. And when you love somebody, I mean, he was a, a mentor, a teacher, a father, a big brother, uh, on some levels, you know, a, a friend and supportive and encouraging. And um, when you fall in love, you think of that person all the time. They're just present in your life. There's no lack of presence. And that is, uh, I had just had this great fortune, like so many of his disciples who had been with him for different time periods in their lives. And I had that fortune for a longer period of time than many. And these are some things that I'll try and share. Um, I'm starting to go through what are about 500 letters and emails and pulling out instructive things from them that I'm not sure how to share them, but I, I, I want to go through that process. So one of the portions, part of me was just someone who, you know, I just, I felt this deep, deep commitment during that time. And I would jump at a moment's notice and just do whatever had to be done. Now he utilized me according to my strengths. And we're going to talk about one size fits one shortly. But he utilized me according to my strengths. And my strengths were largely managerial and administrative. And he just, he put me into service right away. Um, we, I first met him in the late, in late 1982. So I worked with a tennis company and Peter Burwash was is well known and, and had encouragement from Prabhupada to keep going. Peter brought me to see Prabhupada in the mid seventies. Um, so I wasn't seeking initiation per se, you know, I had opportunities, um, when Prabhupada was present, but it, it wasn't my time. And then when I met Tamal Krishnaswamy in 1982, um, he just, you know, it was God's Krishna's arrangement that I became, um, you know, he flipped that switch in my heart. So one part is love. The other part is like water skiing. So I don't know how many of you have water skied ever in your life. In water skiing, you're up on the water, you're being pulled by a boat and there's a tow rope, right? So your hands are holding this bar and there's a rope and the boat is pulling you, right? 
If you're a good water skier, you're up on the water and you're, you're standing on these skis. If you're a bad water skier, you fall, right? And the boat circles around and you try again. If you're a, I don't know how to say this. Not too many people do what I'm going to describe, but this is what it sometimes felt like to serve Tamal Krishna's mom. I felt like I fell, but somebody had put duct tape on my hands, tying me to the, the tow rope, and I was just being pulled through the water. Because truthfully, um, he was when he, I, I never could, I never would compare him serving Prabhupada to me serving him because, you know, he tapped into my material strengths. Um, but I did have the feeling of spontaneous service. And that is nothing other than causeless mercy. We say causeless mercy because. Um, if we accept the presence of God in our lives, then we know that not a blade of grass moves, as Krishna explains to, to uh, Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, not a blade of grass moves without the right um, influence of God through his direct influence or through so many subordinate um powerful incarnations, avatars, or energies. So very, very um, different, Being feeling like, whoa, I'm being pulled by a tow rope, um, you know, right, trying to keep up, and then love at the same time. So um, Stephen Covey, part of what I'd like to share will be some of you are newer than others, and part of what I'd like to share is... Um, Kind of my perspective, 46 years later, from 1975 to now, on spiritual life. Some of you are younger. Uh, my body is 67 years old. I was 21 when I first saw Prabhupada. And I saw the devotees in 1971, actually, uh, when I was 17, uh, at the University of Buffalo. But I thought they were like, they were handing out these sweet balls in the student union where I went to college. And these were leader, who, those who became leaders like uh, uh, Bhagavan Prabhu was there and Burijan Prabhu was there and Trivikram Maharaj, Gunagrai Maharaj um, and, and so many others in that location. It was called the Berkeley of the East in those days. They were handing out sweet balls and I remember so distinctly that I thought, uh, and I wasn't a clean-cut kid by any means, but I thought, what are the drugs that are in those things? I'm not going to eat them, right? But they were just simply wonderfuls, which coincidentally is the name of this program. So nice memory. Um, Stephen Covey is a management guru. And in, in many of his presentations, one of his key instructions is work with the end in mind. So... This leads us to, you know, a little bit of the history of this time and the idea of giving up everything, which to one extent or another, many of us did who were around in those times in the 70s and 80s. Um, but a lot of people struggled because of that. And where I'm getting to right now is the necessity of having a guru. And I'm not necessarily talking about initiation gurus. 
because there are different types of gurus. There's diksha, which is initiation, the formal relationship. And then there's shiksha. And shiksha means instructing. And instructing gurus, there are many. One doesn't just have to have, uh, one wouldn't have, for example, just one person who inspires them. Just like if you're in school, you may have uh, numerous professors and teachers who um, inspire you, or you go to for different types of instructions. So one of the things, if any of you are trying to get some little tidbits, take-homes from this, or if you want to ask questions later, would be what um, I learned from my guru, Tamal Krishna Goswami, is to surround yourself, have key people who you can consult, key people you trust, and you know for what purpose to go to each of those individuals? And he was absolutely uh, the type of person who did not make this major decisions on his own. He was very humble that way, and he sought the guidance of his god brothers or god sisters and consulted with people. And I saw this firsthand again and again and again and again. Um, when you're his secretary, I sat in on. Uh, I, I don't know, not hundreds of meetings with either disciples or friends or guests, but probably thousands. Um, and you get a feel for how he deals with different people, which is why I talked about, uh, mentioned that concept of one size fits one. It's very easy to get caught up into, oh, I need to act this way. I need to dress this way. I need to behave this way. I need to I need to change who I am. Um, and compromising on certain things is very healthy. You know, like we can compromise, for example, on what we eat. We can compromise on, okay, I'm not going to just gobble down whatever food I cook, but I'm going to say a prayer, recognizing that this comes from God, ultimately. That would be a compromise. But, for example, compromising ourselves would be if somebody is really passionate about being a student or really passionate about, um, you know, just loves children and wants to, you know, in your heart, you just know, I want to have three or four kids or one or two or whatever, and right? And, and have a family. Then that would be uh, being a renunciate, for example, if you're that person, would be compromising ourselves and who we are. And much healthier would be to figure out who you are and what you're meant to be, who you're meant to be and what you're meant to do. Um, and that is according to time, place, and circumstance. And it's very, very individual. Uh, in the early days of the movement, a lot of times it was more of a one-size-fits-all. And individuals paid the price for that because they became uh, situated in positions that were compromising who they were. So uh, one of the tips or take-homes would be one size fits one. And times have changed so much. But do surround yourself. I encourage everyone. Surround yourself with individuals you trust and know that you can reach them. And tell them, you know, would you become, like I'm, I'm trying to uh, right now firm up my group of advisors for different purposes, whether it's a writing project now that I'm in a later part of my life, or whether it's for 
um, something else. So you have people you can actually seek their advice and people you can trust. And trust means, according to um, Nectar Instruction, I believe, is one of the six, um, two of the six loving exchanges is to speak to someone confidentially and also to hear from them confidentially. So these are two of the uh, six loving exchanges which we as human beings can embrace. Very, very important. Some people tend to you know, sail a, a boat around the world and they, they set records, they do it by themselves. Safer is to have a crew, a team, much more important. So, um, yeah. Another way to look at that, and, and I'm, I'm saying this because these are things that I've gained from Tamal Krishna and Swami. In public, a lot of times we'll hear lectures uh, from Prabhupada, from Tamal Krishna and Swami, or from guests of temples or now Zoom calls during the pandemic. And we'll hear statements that may we may not be able to relate to um, because um, more important, I mean, it's fine to be part of a large family, and we'll talk about that, the value of it, um, you know, which, which we've all been receiving this gift of friendship and camaraderie from other similarly interested spiritualists. Um, but important is that, you know, we should be understand we're a flock of, of one. We are individuals, and we are personalists, and personalists means that it's not a rubber stamp that everyone has to be the same. So I implore you, whether you're a, a, a new guest who's um, introduced to the sublime uh, chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra, Maha Mantra, or whether or not you've been uh, a devotee, a member within ISKCON for 40 years, I implore you to consider uh, these things of surrounding yourselves with individuals who you can take advice from. Very important. And, and this advice doesn't stop. When you get older, it actually becomes more important because we're in the last phase, so to speak, in this body. And many of us that have been around, if you asked us, do we want to come back in the human form or back into the material world? Or do we want to uh, gain our uh, spiritual form and go back to the spiritual world? I think most would say this material world can be fun sometimes. But um, it's also a place of tremendous stress, especially in this age of Kali. So, um, yes. Yeah, Gurdiv, he was like that. Public statements, if you listen to his lectures, they can be sometimes a little pressure-packed, if you will. But individually, he, he dealt with each individual during all of those literally hundreds and thousands of meetings. Um, in a very, very personal, individualized way. I went through um, most of the secretaries. Uh, I was his resident secretary, permanent secretary in Dallas. Um, as At the time when I was temple vice president for seven years, then president for 10 years. And that was up till 2000. And then he uh, passed, transitioned back to the spiritual world in 2002. Um, and I would say that um, emotionally, mentally, um, because of my lack of advancement, 
that I faced a bit of burnout in the late 1990s. And uh, Nichananda Prabhu uh, became temple president in 2000, partially because of that. It was a little bit too much for me emotionally um, based on my spiritual advancement. Um, it was definitely an intense period. Um, but I can tell you that when I visited him, he was in getting his PhD in Cambridge University and was like two or three months, months away from getting, completing his dissertation. And um, I visited him and I was definitely not, you know, as strictly following all the rules and regulations and all of that. And I was talking it very candidly and, and tears were in my eyes. And he was, um, he just told me, and I don't think it was just pure encouragement. He just said, you're doing better than ever. So it's not all about strictly following rules and regulations. It's about a change of heart. And um, that is something that takes time, it takes patience, and it takes opening your heart, putting your ego aside, and learning to love. And this is not just loving um, God, but it's actually God is pleased. It's just like parents. Parents would be most pleased when the children get along with one another and they learn to love one another, right? That's the idea. So let me carry on. So what did I learn from Tamal Krishna Goswami? Um, I learned what is a real guru. And he never, never, never talked about himself in a proud way, not once. Thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of hours that I was present. I mean, I'm looking at Guru Bhakti because you had so much of his association, so many others present perhaps. But he just didn't talk about himself. You know, he would answer questions sometimes, but he wouldn't push it forwards. In fact, most people, for, for some of you, you know, you know what it's like when you sleep, you don't get a good night's rest, right? And you get, let's say you get six hours, right? And then you'll tell your friends, well, um, I'm tired. I only slept five hours. You know, you exaggerate a little bit, right? To prove the point that you're tired. He would go the other way. If he rested for five hours, he would say, oh, that was a good night rest. I got at least six hours. Now, I don't know whether he was convincing himself that he got more rest than he actually did or if it was just humility. But it wasn't about self-aggrandizement. It was never about that with him. It was just about serving Prabhupada. And his fiery side, I mean, his people nicknamed him. I mean, I would never have called him that in person. Hot tamale. Because he was, he was peppery, you know? He had fire. Um, for someone in a Western Caucasian body, he would take a bite out of chili. Um, when his uh, sandwiches were made, when he was at Southern Methodist University, finishing his undergraduate at 50 years old before going on for his PhD, uh, he, he liked avocado sandwiches with ginger. And the person making the sandwich made it with like 10% ginger. Then he said, more ginger. Then the sandwich had 20% ginger, more ginger. Then 30%, 40%. It became 70% ginger. So he had, he definitely liked heat. He was intense, he was fiery, 
but he also uh, just had a heart who really cared about the individual soul. Very important. I remember once we were on Harinam chanting in the street in the West End Marketplace in Dallas. A lot of people hang out in the restaurants and there are bars there. And we used to go once a week uh, to do uh, Harinam, public chanting. And he came up because it was in Texas. So he did it to this tune. Uh, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So it was to La Cucaracha, which is singing about cockroaches. So I don't know. Um, anyway, that was his, his genius a little bit. So Guru's tough, you know, it's a tough job. I wrote my notes, one of the most difficult jobs you can imagine. His main purpose was to cut the ropes of attachment to the material energy. And I was thinking to myself, can you imagine, you know, you, you, you go through college, you train, right? And then there's a job that you can, uh, you know, apply for. And that job um, has a requirement that everyone you deal with, you try to cut their ego and cut their attachment to the material energy. Tough job. I wouldn't know of any job more difficult, but he accepted that job and that responsibility with about a thousand disciples. And he was personally connected. He knew their families, their kids' names, where they grew up, whether they were in school, what their work was, what their service was. Um, another thing I learned over time was um, it's about direction and not perfection. He demanded perfection for those around him. Um, you definitely had to learn how to water ski, you know, if you wanted to not drown. But at the same time, direction, not perfection, is ultimately what we can have as a take home from that. Um, and there is perfection. I mean, just being on the on the on a path, I think a lot of times we feel guilty if we're not, you know, for those whose faces I can see, how many of you have ever felt guilty and you're not doing quite enough? Anybody? Everybody's felt a little bit guilty that you're not quite doing enough. I think so, right? We've all felt that way. Harry Bolgarin. <laughs> So um, I think that is normal, but at the same time, we have to understand that there's perfection in direction. It's not about perfection, it's about heading, being, going in the right direction. Prabhupada would say, don't criticize someone who's dirty if they're in the shower. Very important lesson. Pride versus self-esteem. This is something else that I've, through the service um, that I performed, I think this is something that is very important. Uh, a lot of times in ISKCON, um, and, and this, there, I'm paraphrasing what Prabhupada would have said, but Prabhupada, um, you know, if somebody, a disciple made a mistake, he said, Prabhupada, I'm the most fallen, I'm so incompetent. And he said, you're not the most anything. So, we can be a little bit self-deprecating, but not to get carried away where it's about us and our ego. So I think some self-esteem 
it is very healthy. And But instead of saying self-esteem, maybe we call it soul esteem. Because the soul is our real identity. So we should feel good about being an individual soul. Why? Because we're part and partial of God. So how can we feel bad? If we're an expansion, if the soul is there, the super soul, expansion of God directly is witnessed through everything we're doing. And we're that important as a spiritual spark that God is present, right? And his external energy becomes present as guru, as teacher. Then therefore, how can we be self-deprecating about we're so low? We can learn to be humble about our position, but not be so absorbed in that if we're identifying with ourselves as the soul rather than as the body. Um, Hmm. What was Tamal Krishna Goswami like? He was just a sold out loyalist. You know, if there were problems, he took charge. He took responsibility. He didn't pass the buck to others. Uh, the time, the years that I was uh, with him were years of turmoil in his time. Um, there was the guru reform time, um, the question about initiation, called the rhythmic issues, for those who've been around. There were all these different politically charged times, and it was stressful. He was chairman of the GBC, at least governing body commission of this time, at least two times during those years. So trust me, it was, it was challenging. It was very busy uh, for those of us serving around him. Um, two small anecdotes. I probably will go another five minutes and we'll open it up. Um, one of the first things he shared with me was to be responsible means to respond. Very, very important. To be responsible means to respond. And he was quoting Prabhupada and saying that. So he wanted to be surrounded with his disciples, to be responsible, to answer phone calls, to answer emails nowadays, to respond, to be responsible. Very, very, very important. And the second thing was, he told me early on, he said, to be my secretary means to be able to keep a secret. So this is the confidentiality principle, is that if somebody does speak to us confidentially, that we need to know that we have to be confidential with that information and not have loose lips. That expression, what is it? Loose lips sink ships. So we have to be careful about being confidential and careful with our words and also responsible about responding. Um, he wasn't, you know, um, okay. Here are three practical, <laughs> three very, very different little stories. One of them was, we were outside in Dallas, for those of you that know Kalachanti's restaurant, we were outside and one woman, she must have been mid seventies maybe, and uh, Tamal Krishna Swan was probably in his early fifties, I was probably 45, and uh, she had a big old car with a heavy door, one of those huge long cars, right? And very heavy door, it must have been a 20 year old car, easy. 
And somehow or other, by accident, she closed the door and her thumb got stuck in the door. So she was scared and it was hurting. I was across the street with him and we both ran to the car and I was on the driver's side seeing if I could open it, but it was like half closed, you know, where you have to push it further closed in order to open it. But her thumb was stuck in the car. He climbed in the passenger side of the front seat and was consoling her. So he didn't hesitate to take action when action needed to be done. Very important. And I was able, by the Lord's mercy, I was able to push the door just a little bit and then open it. And she had a bruise, but no blood, no cut, no broken bone. So that was one story of just jumping into action without hesitating. Even though he was a, you know, a sannyasi and a guru with so many hundreds of disciples and so forth. Um, next, um, I was traveling with him and we were in Los Angeles. And I had bronchitis, the tail end of bronchitis. And when I got sick, I would get bronchial asthma. So I was carrying this cough medicine with me, and I had never shaved his head with a razor or a buzzer. So he asked me, he said, you just, you're going to shave my head today. And I was like, already I had bronchial asthma. So stress can make it worse, right? And I tend to be a little wound up, to say the least, sometimes. So um, anyway, he, I started shaving his head. And I started coughing from asthma, trying to get gas for air. And he, he said, stop coughing. So, I mean, who would want somebody coughing on them while they're shaving his head, right? So I went to the cough medicine and I took a swig. And this was like three quarters of the way. Well, I think it was, I don't know if it was Robitussin or whatever it was, right? So then it calmed me down. Then I shaved it more and I started coughing again because he said, you know, be careful. He was just like egging me on to see, you know what I mean? If I could calm down and not be nervous. Anyway, two or three times taking little swigs, it wasn't working. Then I started coughing again. He said, stop coughing, shave my head. So I just took the bottle of cough medicine. I drank the whole thing. And I didn't stop, I stopped coughing and shaved his head. I wasn't feeling Weird or anything, but and you know that's what <laughs> that's what I did. Um, the third story is when he was working on uh, the drama of Lord Jagannath. For those of you that haven't read uh, Jagannath Priya Natakam, I had the good fortune of, of being the, I guess, the production manager for several of his books, and involved in editing and proofreading and and so forth with others, uh, a couple of whom were on this call. Um, Anyway, we we're bringing the manuscript. Uh, we were traveling to, we had a farm community up in Oklahoma. So we were driving up there. It was, I don't know how far, I can't remember, a couple hours drive. We were halfway there. And, you know, I had help with others loading, you know, prasadam and, you know, food to, for the trip, food to, when we got up there, his suitcase, his manuscripts, his briefcase. Anyway, somehow his briefcase was not put in the vehicle. The manuscript of the book was in the briefcase. The purpose of going there was to write. And I realized halfway through, and I said, so Gerda, I need, we need to stop. I need to check something. We may have left something behind. So we pulled over, right? And 
Um, I'm not sure if I was driving or not, but we pulled over. I looked in the back frantically and the briefcase was not there. So this whole trip of going up there was like, a, you know, a waste of time. And for somebody who's intent on serving 24 hours a day and monitoring every minute of what he did and how he spent his time in service to Prabhupada, he, to his guru, um, that was a major thing. So I went to the window. He was in the passenger side window. I said, Shulgiri, we left your briefcase behind. So how do you think he reacted? Sarva. Sarva served him in England for, uh, I don't know, a year, nine months, a little over a year at some time. Anyway, so what he did is he, the window was open, right? So he looked at me and he took the electric window. He pressed the button and the window just closed between him and me <laughs> because there was some fire coming out of his eyes. He did not want anyone interfering with the service that he was inspired to do for Prabhupada. And then things calmed down and he said, okay, this is Krishna's arrangement. Let's continue the drive and go up there. So he saw Krishna's hand in things, regardless of exactly what the cause was, whether it was my foolishness or lack of whatever, but he saw that. I want to move on to the only time that he, well, I mean, he would put his hand on my shoulder different times or grab my hand, pull me this way or whatever. But the only time he embraced me was 19, full embrace hug was in 1994 in Vrindavan. Um, I, I came there and um, he just, while well, I offered obeisances, for those of you not familiar with the bowing down principle, I was listening to a talk with Prabhupada the other day. And um, one of his early disciples, I think it was, yeah, such Rup Maharaj, saying that, you know, some of the uh, new recruits, devotees, as we call them, um, in ISKCON, um, they had a problem with that idea of bowing down to somebody. And Prabhupada would say, you bow down to somebody no matter what. You might as well bow down to somebody who's going to help you in your spiritual life. You bow down to death. You bow down to your boss. You bow down to earning money. You bow down to the IRS paying taxes. You bow down to the police if they pull you over. We are constantly bowing down. So no harm in um, lowering ourselves, lowering our head, offering respects, especially to elevated souls. Um, so two dreams and then um, one comment, and then we'll open it up. Um, it's hard to know how much we dream about things because um, often we don't remember. But there are two dreams a few months back that I was fortunate enough to have. Um, one of them, I was lying down in bed and he, you know, I don't know exactly if it was a lucid dream or not, but it was extremely real. Um, and he showed up. Uh, my guru Raj. So he came and he was like right on, spot on, back in time, dialed it back 20 years. And he was giving me things to do. He was talking fast. I want you to do this. I want you to call so-and-so. And the letters to you know, the letters need to be typed up, or the emails need to be typed, the dictation. I did this, and can you book these flights? And he was going 
normal full speed that he would. But I knew that 20 years had passed. And I knew I was, you know, in my mid-60s and I had some health issues and I had limited capacity. Um, what I perceived as limited capacity physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever. And I tried to explain it, but I couldn't get any words out. I just started stammering, blah, 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 blah. You know, like I just couldn't get a single um, understandable, coherent word out. And then I woke up. So to me, it represented some degree of reluctance to surrender and be of service, right? That I was identifying with my own body and mind and all that. That's what it meant to me. The next night, I had another dream. And he came again. This time again, I was lying down. But this time, he came and from above, and his hand came down to pull me up. So, Gurudev, a, a real guru, he adjusts to the individual's needs. And the end goal, just like we said, Steve Covey, Stephen Covey, work with the end in mind. Um, ultimately, a real guru who is qualified to teach and guide, he is knowing that ultimately, he is not going to forget any of us. We each have an individual relationship. One size fits one. We are individuals. We are personalists. And there's no rule or regulation that's more important than us developing love in our heart and relationships with one another. So let me just finish with, um, for me, here I am, um, you know, over 40 years later. And um, after Gurdjieff left, I definitely, um, admittedly, as many of you know, I pulled back. It was a very difficult thing for me um, when he had that um, accident, as they call it, when Krishna took him back. And um, the thing that I cherish most would be my final thought before there are any questions is um, my close friends, my god brothers and my god sisters and other friends. Um, and I was talking with Garuda Prabhu, um, for those of you who know him, uh, who's a very close um, confidant of mine. And um, I called all of my god brothers and god sisters who I'm close with, um, just like flowers on a garden. So I'll finish by thanking those of you who uh, I wish I was closer to each of you. Um, I apologize for all my shortcomings over so many years. I apologize for not being more personal in my um, dealings and oftentimes putting busy ahead of personal connection. But my respects and appreciation and gratitude for having each of you in my life. And uh, I just want to say that from now on to the rest of my life, um, I'm open, you know, just open. And uh, any association I can get from any of you would be most appreciated. So, Hare Krishna. Thank you so much, Yudhishthira Prabhu, uh, for sharing these lessons from Srila Gurudev. One, uh, but you said something, one size fits one. 
surround yourself with people you can take advice from and trust. Um, it's about direction, not reflection. Some very nice points you gave us. Um, and uh, also I see how much you, I know that you've always loved him, but like right now you are like really sharing that love. It's really amazing and very wonderful to see. So thank you so much for sharing um, this very um, intimate, uh, you know, like thoughts with us. And now I'm going to also push you a little bit, if I may, <laughs> about the 500 letters and emails you have, you have to do something about them. <laughs> yeah, I know you're planning, you're planning somehow other to put them in a format. I, I, uh, you know, there'll be so much, um, so, so many pearls. I got so many pearls, even after having known you for so long. Um, things which I didn't know. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. So, Winston, you're the moderator. Do, do we ask for questions now, if anyone has? Yes, yep, the floor is open for, for questions. Um, if anyone just wants to unmute themselves and, and go for it. Sure, I have a question. Matthew. Thank you. Uh, uh, well, I'm gonna be giving a Zoom meeting to a college and I'm supposed to talk about Krishna consciousness. So I, I just want to know like how I can avoid uh, preaching to the envious and unwilling to hear. And like, uh, I mean, I was thinking about just opening up with just saying that I can't do that. And uh, I was just wondering about uh, what you think I should do for that. Thank you. I would, you know, YouTube, during the pandemic especially, I'm sure you all know this, that YouTube is like a miracle um, resource for us. And there are so many, I mean, the person who comes to mind, if you want to hear someone's presentation to college students or universities or business people or whatever, I would suggest you listen to some like some presentations by His Holiness Radnath Swami because he makes them very relevant to the individual without judgment. He does it with compassion. He isolates very simple points that can be digestible, that are relatable. And he doesn't worry about formalities. He's very inclusive, which means embracing everyone. After all, you know, when you look, hmm, if you're sitting in traffic, right? Or you're at a red light and you look around and there are cars around you and there are people walking on the street or in a store or gassing up their car or someone walking their dog or, or, or. We should come to the point where Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that we see with equal vision, Sama Darshan, that we see with equal vision that these are all living spiritual entities. And just because we have a little bit of knowledge or spirituality, which many, many millions of people on this planet have more spirituality than I do, regardless of their faith, for sure. I mean, I have no doubt there, you know, there are many people who are better Christians than, than there are people, you know, in the Christian consciousness movement per se. We have to be very careful about thinking that we're better than others. So if, if you're presenting it, I would say listen to Radha Swami a bit. There, I'm sure there are others. 
um, and then presenting it in a, in a way that you can actually feel love in your heart for the spiritual entity that each of those embodied souls are. And then everything will come out. They keep it simple, make it relatable. You'll learn a lot from, from his talks. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Hi, Krishna. Rati Manjari Prabhu. Jai, so nice to see you, Prabhu. What a wonderful presentation. I'm so happy. Yeah, I couldn't go to sleep. I just wanted to get it live. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. Really, really nice. And we know that there's more. <laughs> so we just want to tickle you a little bit. I agree completely with Guru Bhakti that you please go ahead, you know, go ahead and, and um, you know, unravel all the, the nectar, you know, decalcify whatever sometimes, you know. Just let it sprinkle up because it's all whatever you said now is so useful. And yeah, I just feel him coming closer, you know, being closer. Isn't it Guru Bhakti? It's, it's like so, uh, yeah, yeah, he was like that. And how he got in the car to help that old lady. I mean, it's almost my age, but anyway, you know, that was so endearing. Yeah, very, very nice. So I was just wondering in general, like, do you have any like favorite memories that you are favorite times? Like sometimes we know we are in a good flow or he was encouraging you or things were, he was maybe doing beautiful things like writing dramas and, you know, that you really felt like, wow, I'm so fortunate or whatever, anything like that. I mean, the dominant part of my service was very practical, you know? It was also sweet, he was also very funny. You know, how many times, at least me, how many times because there wasn't, in Dallas and in other places, he would take lunch prasad or breakfast. Um, typically he wouldn't eat dinner or he might have a snack, but he, you know, main meal was lunch and uh, a breakfast. So I don't know how many times he would have me sit with him, you know, during that. So I learned so much about honoring prasadam, foodstuffs, and uh, tastes and all that, eating it hot, how the conversation should be light and sweet to help digestion, all of those things. Um, yeah, you, you couldn't help when you have that opportunity hundreds and hundreds of times, you know? Um, Yeah, I'm not sure, I, I mean, there's so many, I mean, the thing that came to my mind of, you know, rules and regulations versus from the heart, when Mother Kirtida, for those of you that don't know Kirtida, she passed away in 2001, I believe, Rubati, 2001, Sarva, you would know. About 2001. And one of her final wishes in Dallas was, and by that time she must have weighed 70 pounds, 65 or 70 pounds, she was so frail. And she was near the end of her life. And she, but she was so clear, you know, she didn't exhibit pain, anything. And she asked him if he could take her to touch Radharani's feet on the altar in Dallas, the deity of Radharani. 
So he carried her up on the altar, and that's unheard of from sannyasi to carry a woman onto. It reminds me of the story of Lord Chaitanya and Jaga, right in the temple, and this one older, very you know enthusiastically devoted woman. She couldn't see. She was shorter. The temple room was so packed. And Lord Chaitanya was very tall. And he was standing by, um, I'm not sure, a pillar or whatever, some of the decor around the temple room. And she climbed up on it. And to get secure footing, she put her foot on the shoulder of the Lord, of Lord Chaitanya. And his followers were like trying to get her down. And he said, no, no, no. Her devotion is the most important thing. So it's about, there's a song that in the mid seventies, I remember, I loved it, you know, changed from worm to butterfly. If he could then so could I. That Michael Cassidy, change of heart. If you don't know it, just Google it. Michael Cassidy, change of heart song on YouTube. It's from the mid seventies. And it's one of those just sweet, sweet, sweet things because that's what matters. That's what matters. I mean, you get to a point, and so many of you feel this, you know, this is the goal is, I, for me, tears come so easy uh, these days. They didn't for most of my life, but in recent years, they come easy. And this is, these are the things we should pray for what little, little our heart can soften, um, that we can push our ego aside and we can embrace. Um, these, you know, this, this connection. But again, I go back, what is it that pleases the parent most? You know, what, and, and the parent being the guru and ultimately God. What is it that pleases? It's when the children learn how to play together, when they learn how to cooperate, when we learn how to love, when we learn how to offer gifts and receive gifts, when we learn how to uh, speak confidentially and, re and hear confidentially. The six loving exchanges of um, lovers of God, regardless of religion. You can have that. I have some friends who are very good Christians. And, you know, if, if you can speak confidentially to someone on spiritual topics, exactly how their visage, their vision of God exists, whether it's a little coward boy whose uh, skin appears bluish like a monsoon rain cloud, as Krishna did, or whether it's Lord Ram, who is a greenish hue, or whether it's um, you know, a loving God with a long white beard, or whether it's um, Jesus you know, appearing in that way, in that form to teach us as a guru on this, on this, in this realm or whether it's Muhammad, or whether it, it really, it is so insignificant in God's eyes exactly what our path is, as long as we have a change of heart. And for me, I'm just a beginner, you know, it's not, it doesn't matter whether it's one year or 40 years, it's like, so I've been a vegetarian slash vegan since I was, I don't know, 20, 21. So 45 years, something like that. And, and if somebody takes, you know, changes, I'm pretty fanatical about diet and stuff. And I think it's really important on the steps to be compassionate. 
But there are plenty of people who are non-vegetarian who have really, really good hearts. They just haven't approached that aspect of sensitivity or awareness. But there are plenty of people who are vegetarians who are just very self-absorbed and not necessarily very nice people. But the bottom line is to soften and look at one another and not worry about black, brown, white, Indian, male, female, 10 years old, five years old, 80 years old, guru, non-guru, it doesn't matter. We need to see the spirit spark in each person. And with that, um, one actually starts feeling the reciprocation of guru and Krishna, of God, you know, because it's pleasing to the parents. That's the most pleasing thing when we learn to love one another. I hope this helped, Rati. There, I, I don't know stories. I mean, I listen, I did his bookkeeping. Gurus, you know, someone like Gurda, he got so much Guru Dakshi, right? And he would turn the money into, uh, he would donate it to different causes in ISKCON. He would donate it to the school. He would donate it to different purposes. But people gave money, right, to the Guru as an act of service and respect. So I managed his accounts from 1980, late 84, early 85, until at least 2000, maybe beyond a little bit. And he would, when he'd come to Dallas, he'd say, okay, show me my accounts. So he learned this from Prabhupada because he did Prabhupada's accounts. And, and it was a big handwritten ledger with columns, you know, one of those accounting sheets with the lines and all that. And I was very meticulous about things, but, you know, occasionally you make a little error, you know, you write down a, a six instead of a nine or whatever. Inevitably, it could be pages. He would go right within seconds. He would go right to the page, right to the place where there was a tiny mistake. And it may be the only mistake, but this is a big page full of numbers, maybe, you know, three, four hundred numbers on a page several pages, and he would point right to the one. So he was a little mystical, that's for sure. One of the most touching things of videos of him um, is when he's playing uh, harmoniums on YouTube, chanting, Yay, Anilo Premadana, the departure of the Vaishnava song because it shows, I think, his heart in respect to missing Prabhupada and other godbrothers of his who may not have been around, who he was close with, and so forth. He didn't talk about his relationship. He and Vishnujan Swami were great, great friends, and Vishnujan Swami disappeared. You know, he left his body early, early in the 70s. So, you know, Gurdjieff was very private about his heart. The most he opened up, I know his brother, Kalachanti Prabhu, was on this call. And then, you know, seeing him interact with um, his brother and Shradanjali, his brother's wife, and three children, um, and his mother during those times, it was a big change, you know, as he matured. Um, you know, you don't want to say, well, the guru, you know, is always perfect, you know. I mean, people mature, and I don't think it's offensive to say that over time, Gurudev became um, opened up 
and started blossoming more and more. It doesn't mean he wasn't a flower to begin with, but flowers can grow and spread and, and expand and blossom. And I think it's it's really a fact that he um, expanded over time. And I think he's still expanding. I feel his presence more now. Uh, I mean, it was a different type of presence when he was physically present because of my service and my relationship with him. But inside my heart, I feel the connection deeper, for sure. Anyone else? Rati Manjari, I know you could give this. Gurubhati Maharaji, you may want to set up, I don't know, you'd have to convince Rati Manjari to stay up until three in the morning. But um, she would be great for this too. So anyone else have? The convincing is well, won't be so difficult. <laughs> okay, we'll click on that. It's more like a scheduling because we already had an agreement, Yudhisthira Prabhu and me, but we just have to schedule it. Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it'll be way great. Yeah, I'd love to support you and get all the nectar. Yeah. So, any other questions from them? There, it doesn't have to be a question. It could be just an observation or a reflection. Or Ritavijaraj is here in Dallas during the COVID. And um, I will tell you a highlight of my life, since Guru Bhakti is on the call, is um, I had, I'd say, somewhat serious bladder surgery on Guru Bhakti two years ago. And it was the second time in the world they did the surgery with robotics. And Guru Bhakti put her practice aside. I mean, don't everyone shouldn't expect her to do that, but she'd probably do it now that I'm putting her on the spot. Anyway, she put her practice aside and she came up. And when I came out of surgery and came to, Muttavaji Maharaj was holding my right hand and Guru Bhakti was holding my left hand. And it was not the morphine, but I thought I was in the spiritual <laughs> world. It was just the, one of the, Rati Manjari, you asked me about one of the highlights of my life and you can't give a highlight related to Gurudev without including the interactions with his closest associates and disciples. So that was Rupabhajimaj, very, very special to him. He, he was his coach during the months when he had two different prostate surgeries, he had prostate cancer. Um, and yeah, so it's a very, very special opportunity, very, very special family um, that we have. And um, I just encourage each of you to ex expand it. Don't just, don't be narrow, but be broad. And following Gurudev, I mean, he went broad. Can you imagine someone who's a sannyasi going back to undergraduate at Southern Methodist University, where it's sororities and fraternity, that's the university in Dallas. And he's sitting in his robes in a classroom with, with juniors, sophomore and junior, boys and girls who are 19 and 20 years old, 21, right? Girls wearing short dresses, boys, you know, doing this, they're doing all sorts of there's flirting going on, all these activities that happens normally in colleges. And he was sitting there in those classes with them. And he had his eyes on the target. The goal of graduating 
and then going on with his PhD, and he was awarded the outstanding student uh, at his graduation. One of two, he was, there were two awarded at the same time. And he got all sorts of accolades because of his work. He was so prominent. Um, they had, it's an old building and they had a, like a little uh, courtyard lobby in this section of the university. And the professors had their offices. There was one small office that was open and available and they gave it to him. They gave an office in the university to an undergraduate student to use. So he could have his lunch in peace. And then he did LSD. What does that mean? He said that once. So he said, okay, time for LSD after lunch, left side down. So you lie on your left side because your stomach is on the left side of your body. The blood goes there and it aids in digestion. So I never heard that. When he said that, I was like, my jaw dropped open. And um, he started laughing and that said what it meant. He probably got it from one of his godbrothers. I don't think he would have made that. Anyone else? Guru Priya, what about you? You have to unmute. You don't have to. You know, I'm so happy to hear you. I'm wondering what does the cover of your new book look like? What does the what? The cover of the book. The second book is published. The poetry book? Yeah. I'll show you. I would like to get some copies. Well, that's why you kept seeing black on the chair. This is what it looks like. Um, can I can hold it. Oh, yes, not... Hold it a little back. Yeah, now we can see it. Oh, wow. So it's my existential journey. It's about, you know, it's funny, and then it's also about humility and all of that combined. So, yeah, you just let me know. We'll send them down, whatever. Yes, I would like like 20 or something, 20. Well, contact me, you know, call or text, and we'll talk. Okay. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for the first book. We loved it. Yeah, I've had good results. Thank you. And thank you for your talk today. You have to do it more often. Hare Krishna. Well, this is the first time in a very long time. So um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. You know. <laughs> we, we want to see you with PSP version. I think you. Any other questions? Yeah, I, if there are no questions, I was going to ask just two practical questions. How, for people who may be aspiring to find a guru um, and to develop a relationship, what tips would you give them? And the other thing is, um, those of, them, of us who do have gurus, how do we render service in an intimate, because you did very intimate service, but still you kept that relationship of, um, you know, like knowing that this is my guru and he, I'm seeing his human side and not commit offenses and how to take advantage or take the best, the opportunity when it's available, how to make use of the opportunities we, they, we may have when our gurus are still here 
so that we can keep those memories and and um, like how they're sustaining you now. How can we um, make the best use of the opportunities or seek out those opportunities to get um, to to do this this kind of service for our guru? Shall I start with the first question? Whichever way. So your first question was, how does one find who their teacher would be? Mm -hmm. And I, I want to say that, again, there's an initiating guru, who is a, for, which is the formality right, of that certain vows, which in Gaudiya Vaishnavism and Prabhupada's movement takes a certain shape and form, right? But um, more often in ISKCON, the initiating guru is also an instructing guru. In my case, um, Gurudev was both. You know, I had others I was very close with who I would speak with confidentially, but my the dominant relationship was with him, for sure. Like Bhakti Trumaraj, um, there was always this connection, you know, for example. Now, with... Um, with Tabitha Maharaj, with Garuda Prabhu, with Giri Swami, and with, with others, and plus God Brothers. And, you know, I had a wonderful talk with Shantanda Prabhu, the former temple president in Houston. Um, and I'm making an effort, I think, making an effort to reach out to people. Um, like, uh, you know, our God Brother, Radhacharan is in Mayapur, our God Brother, Ladini Shakti Prabhu, he's in Vrindavan. Um, and there are so many people, and as you meet people, I would just encourage people, don't be complacent about developing relationships. Because if you think about it again, God, Krishna, Jehovah, Allah, Adonai, whoever you, however you relate, whatever religious path you're on, um, God will be most pleased when his children learn how to play nicely together. And we can only do that by starting one at a time. We all have friends. And just as you can, shift that friendship from uh, material activities, if that's what they're based on, a little bit, add some spiritual sugar. You know, just add the sugar and tip the seesaw that way just keep adding the sugar and um, using the, the sweet analogy because spiritual life is sweet material life can be sweet for a little while but you know it gets old it's like watching television you can watch for a little bit but if you keep watching 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 all day long it gets tiring so spiritual life as we get a taste um, in Sanskrit, it's called a uh, higher taste, param drispa nabartite, that we get a higher taste and then we can continue much more easily. So how to find the right guru? It starts by knowing how to develop relationships. And then when you get close relationships, you can start talking to those persons who you can confide in and ask what, who inspires them. It's a network. It's, it's a spiritual network like a spider's web reaches out, you know? So that would be my advice because it's not, you know, everyone's going to find their teachers in a different way. Prayer helps. Praying to God, praying to Krishna to send someone. 
for sure. As far as if you are initiated and your guru is present, how to develop more closeness. That was part two of your question, more or less, right? Um, I think you have to be a little bit bold and a little bit greedy. You know, and for most people, that's not so easy. For me, I didn't really do anything. I was recruited because I already had had a job for 10 years in the real world. And I was already an organized manager type of person. And Gurdiv recruited me, I think. You know, that's pretty clear right now. So I didn't have that dilemma, so to speak. And he is incredibly charming. I mean, it's like when the when the soul shines through to the outside, the person becomes very attractive because it's a spiritual energy, which is eternal and beautiful. Thank you. Anyone else? A nice group. <laughs> like we have two pages. To speak louder. Can you say? Sorry, I'll speak a little louder, please. I it's hard to hear. So Gurudev took advantage of good ta talents that you had. Was there anything that he asked you to do that was sort of against your nature? Or your... <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, I, you know, he, he encouraged me, you know, I mean, to um, the only set of deities in the Dallas temple I ever dressed was Lord Jagannath, uh, Baladeva Subhadra. And I can't say that I did a good job. Um, he tried to encourage me to do Bhagavad Gita programs in people's homes when I was temple president. And I resisted because I was a new father. I started my own business. I was temple president and his permanent secretary. And it was just, honestly, it was a bit too much. And some of us know what that's like when it's just 24 seven. Um, so I can tell you that one on one of his Vyasa Puja celebrations, for those that don't know that word, it's a, a, like a birthday party, if you will. The Krishna Conscious Movement is one party after another. Uh, Prabhupada called it a kitchen religion, I think, right? So um, anyway, um, Mukunda Dutta, many of you know him, is, is very, he's like an incarnation of a Bengali musician. And he is, you know, he traveled with Gurudev for some time, took care of his small Radhadamadar deities, traveling around the world and all this. And it was his Vyasa Puja. So we were giving gifts. So um, Gurudev always, you know, he tried to keep me humble. I can't say he was successful, but he tried. And um, Mukunda Dutta gave him uh, a new outfit for his deities. So a very spiritual gift, right? And in those days, you remember Blackberries, those little like calculator, computer, mini computer things? So it's because this was in the probably, I don't know, late 80s, something like that, or early 90s. And I gave him a Blackberry, right? And he 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 just laughed, you know. We could have done it, gave him dress for the deities. I gave him a blackberry, which he ended up not using anyway. 
And, and he said, well, that comes as no surprise, something like that. Because mine was practical, you know, material efficiency, business, get things done thing. And his was related to the deities and Krishna. So that was him basically nudging me or just at least telling me directly what my strengths were and what my strengths were not. But I think it's very telling that, you know, when I went to England and I was, you know, very honest with him about what I was doing spiritually with my practices and what I wasn't, that he looked at me and said, I think you're doing better than ever. And I was just, I just had become softer. And it's, it's not, you know, it wasn't in my nature to show that side of me. I hope that helps a little. Yes, by coincidence, Mukunda Dutt will be on next Friday. Oh, nice. Yeah, you'll, his talk, for those who hear him, you'll get exactly what I'm saying. He's definitely got um, both feet in the spiritual world. I'm trying to like dip my toes in the, in the water. Do we have any other questions for uh, Register Prabhu tonight? We've gone a long time, but if anyone has any final questions, then when is Prasadam, sir? <laughs> so, uh, when do we get to eat? We'll have to do a rain check on that. <laughs> Unless we can get Uber in for everyone. If I may ask a question, it's maybe not the easy one, but maybe interesting. Uh, there Are there any regrets that you have in regards to your relationship or your association with Shri Gurudev? That's a wonderful question. When my father was, my father started getting dementia. He passed away in 92. And the early, when he was in his early 80s, he was starting to get dementia. And I asked him the same question. Hmm. You know, I asked him, Dad, do you have any, what, what are some, do you have any regrets in your life? You know, mm -hmm. and I'll jump past how he answered that, but I'll answer you with mine is there are many questions that I did not have the maturity to ask when he was physically present. But I feel like he's answering them now um, more and more. I just have this sense, you know, um, yeah, I just have this sense of his presence, you know? And you can't, it's just like, I mean, it's almost Shakespearean, right? When you when you love somebody and they're no longer there, you know, I don't, I'm, I've never read Shakespeare per se, but you hear, right, a little bit about it. And people are, lovers are separated. It was all about, you know, separation and anxiety of missing one's love and all of that. And when that happens, um, it's very profound. And we know it in Gaudiya Vaishnavism that, um, Radharani and the gopis, when Krishna wasn't present, they had such lamentation and anxiety and um, sadness. They were just overcome by that separation. And, you know, 
emotions in this material world, just like everything else, are, are an inverted reflection of what exists in the spiritual world. All the emotions that are here are there. They're just um, different, and they're eternal, and they're more pastimes. There's not real suffering in the material sense if somebody's anger has anger or uh, or 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 it's just a different it's got a different slant to it it's just like if you um you know you, you can cook things a different way if you cook it right it's going to taste wonderful and if you cook it wrong it could be the same ingredients it's going to taste bad so the material world, some of the emotions we experience in the material world are like that. They're like the ingredients being mixed together in a bad way. But in the spiritual world, they're mixed together, together in a good way. And they all leave a, lead us towards higher and higher love. And like Garuda Prabhu uh, shared with me, you know, he has a PhD in comparative religion from Harvard and three masters from Harvard, I think. At least the PhDs from Harvard, I forget. At least one or two or three masters there. Awesome. And he said that idea of direction, not perfection, came from him. And he um, shared that even the Raj Gopikas, you know, the gopis in, in the eternal spiritual abode and pastimes with Krishna, they're striving to get deeper and deeper. And, and Krishna's churning that. He's putting the ingredients together in such a way that, that it becomes more and more intense. Because love knows no bounds. So it can be more and more and more and more and more infinitely. And it's um, what little we feel, you know, in terms of separation. I, I didn't ask him so many things, Rati, you know, so many things I didn't ask him. So many things that I wished, you know, if he was here. And I've asked other God brothers of his, mm. um, but it's it's some of these things are just very personal, you know, that you can you can ask. But just like all the questions we could ask ourselves about our hearts and how we're feeling and how we relate to other people, these same questions I, I would love to know, you know, at different stages how he, you know, because he didn't show his emotions all that much, you know, really he was instructive in his intensity. But he didn't, you know, he didn't show to us as disciples. He didn't open that side. Prabhupada, you know, taught him to be cautious about letting disciples feel like they're on the same level that they can relate. So like Guru Bhakti said, you know, I was able to maintain. I never felt like he was my buddy. You know, there was never any tinge of that. And Sarva, you know, in England, I mean, there's no chance that you felt that. So I hope that helped a little bit. Yes, so those, yes. Those are regrets. And also I have regrets. He was heavy. You know, we all know that. And one time, um, you know, he, his job was to cut the ties of material existence for the individual souls. So that job is hard. And how do you do it if he's only seeing people a few minutes a year sometimes? And so many students, disciples to teach. How do you do that? You know, without being a little bit strong and a little aggressive and a little pushy. So he was all of that for sure. And I, as his, you know, secretary, and oftentimes 
I felt I had an inherent responsibility after he left to be more um, caring and to show the sweet side of his. Like Shrutakirti and Upendra were very close to Prabhupada. They were his servants in the mid-70s, I guess early to mid-70s. When I first, I spent a month in Hawaii when Prabhupada was there in May of 2000, uh, May of 1976. And Shrutakirti, and Upendra has passed away. Shrutakirti Prabhu is still alive. And you can hear him on YouTube and, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I reached out to him about a year ago and he remembered me as Bhakta Joe. In the Hawaii temple during those days, I was given this celebrity kind of status because I was the vice president for Peter Burwash, the tennis group, and Prabhupada encouraged him to stay with it, you know, introduce people to vegetarianism and so forth. So Shrutakirti was, they were both so nice to me. And Shrutakirti, 40 plus years later, 44 years later, remembered me um, during that time. And why? Because he represented Prabhupada with sweetness. Prabhupada couldn't spend so much time with everybody. And I don't, I mean, I did that a little bit maybe, but I don't think I did it nearly enough. And when I started coming back around, because I pulled back after Gurudev left for some years, when I started coming back around, the first thing I felt compelled to do was to apologize to everyone I saw that I didn't, wasn't a nicer human being um, to each of them. And there were a lot of tears and they just didn't know really where I was coming from. But I had to go through that kind of fire of, um, yeah, so those are regrets also. I had those regrets, you know. And I remember offering obeisances to Gurudev's picture in the Dallas Temple Room and uh, just sobbing, you know, when I started for the shortcomings. And you, as you know, I'd seen Mohini, who I'm in touch with at least four times a week, maybe on average, uh, to this day. And I, I met with her reluctantly. Others tried to get me to meet with her. And then I, I refused, refused, refused. And then um, my daughter, Kalindi, asked um, if, I would, if I would meet with her. And then you were in the Dallas Temple Room visiting. I didn't go to Houston for the Vyasa Puja, but I saw you. And I remember just taking, I don't know if I took your arm and I said, Rati, I need to talk to you. Or we need to talk. And you came to my house and we sat for how many hours? A long time. At least three. Yeah, I think I was thinking four, but at least three hours. Well, could and be you four. helped me so much, so mm. much. I'm crying. Thank you. I was just remembering that and then today, and I thought, what did we talk about? And I couldn't really remember, but it was like beautiful. It was, it felt like healing. So then I thought, that's okay. I don't have to remember the details. It's the direction that's important, you know, healing, balancing, going forwards, giving back, sharing association. That's very nice. Then everybody can benefit. If we, next time we speak on the phone, which hopefully we can do, I can tell you what I remember because I do remember something. Okay. (laughs) That's good. Anyway, it's wonderful to have you here, and thank you so much for my other dear friends here, Guru Bhakti, Sarvabhoma, and I see Guru Priya. So great to see you all. It's really lovely. 
Kuvera has these. Kuvera Prabhu has all these big flowers behind him. Kuvera, yeah. Let's see the others. I just got four. Oh, wow. Impressive, Prabhu. Big flowers. And I just reconnected with my, our god sister, Sri Rupa. Mm. She's on the stall. She lives in Staten Island. There she Can is. I? And I remember her so much when she was in Dallas. Gurudev loved her so much because she was a fellow New Yorker. And I remember her Her energy was, you know, a little bit spicy and smiley and very energetic and just uh, wonderful. And I don't remember. How old were you when you visited Dallas that time? Do you mind sharing? 18 the first time. <laughs> yeah. Just a little kid. You were very brave to come to Dallas. It was all Gurdave. I met him in, in um, New York and he said, would you like to come to Dallas to visit? And the next thing I knew, I was on a plane to Dallas. And, uh, you know, College Sanchi Prabhu helped me so much. I see Ritavaji Maharaj has is, is just checked in a little bit. He missed all my appreciation of him. But Krishna's arrangement. Anyone else have some things to say? It's getting late, but I, I'm not getting up at four in the morning anymore, so. Maybe Ritavit Jamaras has something to say. He may have checked in, but there he goes. I said, I'll, I'll give you a call at 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. He was, when after that surgery, Guru Bhakti knows this. He was so kind. He came every day and sat with me. I was in bed, lying down with tubes coming out. And he sat with me every day for six to eight hours. So, so amazing mercy. And it's said that you're, the service that we do is to our eternal credit. We have a spiritual bank account. So in my own neophyte way, whatever little service I do, um, I, have, I take great comfort in the relationships that have been established. I don't think I deserve anything special in any way, shape, or form. I never do. But I'm so appreciative of having all of you, um, even those that I, who I don't know in my life. It is, it's like having a, you're each a flower and you're a garland around the neck, you know, that you can hold on to. It's just so wonderful. Anyone else want to share? When Gurudev had programs, you know, he didn't worry about the clock, right? If something was rolling, and he would just let it keep rolling. So, Winston and Guru Bhakti Prabhus, I'll let you, you decide if you want to finish, wrap it up or 
does anyone else have any have any questions or additional reflections? We're down to party two. All right. Well, uh, well, thank you again, Yudhishthira Prabhu, for a uh, wonderful class. Um, thank you for your service and association. Um, you know, I'm still, you know, very new myself um, and feel, you know, really blessed and definitely I'm feeling, you know, the mercy that you, you know, Guru Bhakti, Sarvabhama Prabhu, you know, all of my Shikshu Gurus, you know, everyone here has, has given me as a newcomer. So definitely relate to that. And, I don't think you're new, Winston. <laughs> oh, thank you, Hare Krishna. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean, everything that you said, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, it was very uh, applicable to, to my situation and many others. So thank you for that. And uh, I'll definitely take that with me, um, you know, in the, in the year to come. Okay, Hare Krishna, everybody. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Hare Krishna. Mostly for this. Sangha and the association. Thank you. Thank you, Prabhu. And thank you. All glories Thank you. All glories to His Holiness Krishna Goswami. All glories to His Holiness Ritabhaja Maharaj. All glories to all of you. And spiritually speaking, all glories to every single spirit soul on the entire planet. Haribo. Haribo. Jai. Jai. Haribo. I'm I'm waiting to click. I'm waiting for the after party. Yeah. <laughs> the what? After party. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. Winston, would you like to just say who's coming next week and just the short announcements that we have? Sure. So uh so next week, uh, we'll be having uh, Mukunda Datsa Prabhu um, speaking on Jiva Goswami on his disappearance day. Uh, hope everyone can join us again. And thank you for, for joining us tonight. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Ritabha Maharaj, I think you were on at the beginning, but this picture is the Vrindavan one I showed you when you were in my home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I said My changing I, body. I left I left your email open on my so I would remember to uh, attend and then I had a couple of I need to talk to you any time you're free as long as it's ASAP so I had to do <laughs> I got a couple of calls I got a couple of texts like that whenever you're free I really need to talk to you ASP so <laughs> then I just picked up my phone and I thought I'd run through my emails, and then I saw, oh, man, I was late. So sometimes we get those ASAP calls, So, and it had to deal with the youth. So I was a little a little, little behind schedule. It's nice to see you, Mark. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get together. Yeah, soon. All right, Krishna. All right, Krishna. I sent you a... I sent you a chat text but uh, I'll send it to I'll, I'll, I'll copy and send it so that <laughs> okay I'm going to check out now thank you all Hare Krishna Hare Krishna send me a message to the group on your phone